1: Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
0: I'm Dave Baker. I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... Sam and Max, Freelance Police. Who are Sam and Max, Freelance Police? Well, they're an anthropomorphic dog and rabbit-esque creature who operate a private investigation business. Kinda. It's mostly about bizarro humor, off-the-wall violence, and the ever-enduring magic of... Friendship. Which, come to think of it, kind of sounds like our show. Huh. (laughs) 1. Non sequiturs and the cuteness of propaganda, the Sam and Max story. For those not in the know, Sam and Max are an anthropomorphized dog and bunny rabbit like creature who work as freelance police officers. They're widely credited as being created by Steve Purcell, the illustrator, animator, and designer who you probably know for his work at Lucasfilm Games. However, the characters predate their published comic book of first appearance. In fact, they were created by Purcell's younger brother, Dave Purcell. Um, I would do my own comics. I had like
2: Super Stooge and things like that. I would do like superhero parodies and stuff like that. And my kid brother, he was doing uh, these detective characters and they were called Sam and Max and they were a dog and a rabbit. He would leave his unfinished comics lying around in the house and um, as a typical mean older brother I would take his comics and I would, if he hadn't finished the story, I'd finish it out in a parody of his style. And so I'd have the characters kind of over explaining everything they did and they would kind of make fun of the way they were drawn and I would draw their hand you know with the thumb on the wrong side and the perspective wrong and and everything I could think of to make him irritated and ultimately that kind of developed into their own style of relating to each other and he lost interest in the characters and one year for my birthday he gave me a little document that said I could have the characters from that point on and uh and I Ended up doing my own stories with those characters. And uh, once I got to art school and I actually had to, you know, do them in a, in a figured out style for the first time when I was doing the, the school paper strip. During the 80s, there was kind of a black and white comics boom. And a friend of mine was doing it. In
0: comic 1980, comic 80, Purcell began to produce a Sam and Max comic strip for the weekly newspaper for his college that he and other notable cartoonists like Mike Mignola and Art Adams attended. The California College of Arts and Crafts. All right, so we're now going to look at this uh, this college salmon max strip that Steve Purcell made. Um, what is it? What does this look like, Andrew Spandrew? What does this What does this look like, Spandrew? Yeah, I feel like it has that pretty quintessential
1: loose '80s indie comic look. Um, and you know, the characters are there; like they're very recognizable. the The design of them is the same as. You know of Sam and Max as I think maybe Max is a little bit more cute than he ends up being like they 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 carve out Steve Purcell and maybe Lucas Arts a little bit carve out this very specific look for Max where he's like he is a, he is cute and he's like a little anthropomorphic bunny, but he looks insane like he, he has this like crazed look to him. And he's a little more like cutesy here. he doesn't have that yet, that's not locked in, but otherwise they look the same. He's also a little bit more of an
0: actual bunny rabbit, yeah, yeah, he is like in the in the in the later stuff, which we'll get to, like he's kind of a vaguely rabbit esque creature he's They don't ever say he's like an actual rabbit, and he does he doesn't look like an actual rabbit. he looks like an alien that's like half shape shifted into a rabbit,
1: yeah. Yeah, and he just has these like these sharp teeth, and he just has this crazed look in his eye, and
0: he's he's pure chaos. Um, and the the interesting thing too is that these comics, the college strips, they look like they're drawn almost in like a ballpoint pen, and there's like almost no backgrounds, and they're they look like they're drawn fairly quickly, um, which is interesting because Steve Purcell's illustration style and his attention to detail as we progress just gets more and more laborious to the point where i'm kind of like jesus christ like funny animal comics are are supposed to kind of not be that labor intensive you know as a genre they kind of are not uh associated with just like crazy amounts of detail but the way steve pristel does it everything is just kind of there's jokes on jokes on jokes visually and written yeah
1: yeah almost to the point where it's like over engineered and that's kind of part of the joke like yeah this is way too much you've put way too much work into this yeah and that's kind of part of it and that and we'll get to this later but that that terminates in basically the the point and click adventure games because um especially at that time uh you know that 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 pixel art style that was used in a lot of in a lot of those adventure games in the in the 80s and 90s was kind of um it's defined by being these sort of lush, beautiful, meticulously crafted digital paintings. Um and you know t- for you know this ends up terminating in this idea of turning these characters into this at the time lush, grandiose game with this huge scope in terms of like the environments and the backgrounds and the way that everything looks and it's still just these two
0: animals cracking these like sort of Convoluted yet immature jokes After college Purcell began working In independent comics Producing work for Steve Moncus's Fish Police As well as working on New Mutants And Defenders of Dynatron City However it would be his black and white Indie comic book reboot Of Sam and Max that would really stick For Purcell Sam and Max Freelance Police debuted in 1987 Under the Fishwarp Productions banner The first comic Monkeys Violating the Heavenly Temple established what many would come to think of as quintessential Sam and Max the visual style of the characters the 10 jokes a minute approach to world building and the constant use of non sequiturs mr uh, mr spice mr spandrew spice what was your what's your what was your first uh, exposure to sam and max and are you familiar with these comics that we're talking about
1: yeah so so a couple things here so the first thing is i love talking animals I don't know why, but I love talking animals, which is why I feel like I have—I feel like I have a little bit more affinity for Disney than you do. I mean, I—I I know you like Disney and have an appreciation for Disney, but there's like a little bit more of a harder edge in your sentiment towards Disney. And of course, I'm aware of the mega conglomerate covering the world with their bloody paint. I'm—I'm I'm critical of that, obviously. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that, but- was, that was a dark way of <laughs> phrasing that and very yeah. apt very true yes. but still dark but i have a but i have a lot of affinity for the characters and 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 um it's because i, I just love talking animal characters i love uncle scrooge i love those comics carl barks um don rosa th- those old uncle scrooge comics from the from the 50s and the 80s i love mcgruff the crime dog i love um I just went and saw Sonic the Hedgehog 2 with my kids and I fucking loved it. And I love Tails and he's one of the greatest characters of all time. Um, and I love Sam and Max. There's just something about a dog in a suit that just I love a lot. Um, and then the second thing is uh, whenever I was a, a kid, um, I I don't even remember my 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 first computer that I ever had was this old IBM computer that ran DOS and we had it in the mid 90s and I don't it, somebody gave it to us it, it was like it was like an outdated computer at the time it was probably a computer from like the early 90s to maybe even late 80s it was way outdated for what existed at the time and it it only ran DOS and it had a, uh, th- whoever gave us this computer, because my parents would have never bought their computer; they were not like computer people. But somebody gave it to them, and it was pretty much just exclusively me that used this computer. And it had a bunch of um floppy diskettes, the 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 three point five inch discs of a bunch of games and programs. And amongst these games, there were a bunch of these um, a- these adventure PC games, these point and click adventure games. Uh, and you know the big producers of these games in in the 80s and 90s were uh Lucas Arts which eventually became uh well Lucasfilm Games which eventually became Lu- Lucas Arts and then uh, another company called Sierra and uh, you know there's games like King's Quest that's what Sierra one of the games that Sierra does and then Lucas Arts does a bunch of games like um uh Monkey Island and Maniac Mansion Day of the Tentacle Full Throttle um and the Sam and Max games and um so i played a lot of these games when i was younger and i i was obsessed with them i i loved these games so much um just i loved the the art style i loved the fact that they were like especially at the time like you know almost like you were like playing like a show or like a movie or like a cartoon or something like that they were these interactive cartoons that had characters that talked and there was a story to it um and then you were solving these puzzles Um, I had a huge affinity for these games and, uh, Sam and Max, uh, uh, the first game in particular, and also the second game, um, were my favorite of all of them. I love, I love these games a lot. Um, and, uh, later on when I was in high school, I kind of like got back into these games. Um, and I, and I, uh, basically like in the, in the early to mid two thousands, uh, a lot of people had developed, uh, emulators for being able to play these games on a, on a windows PC because they were DOS games. Um, so I emulated and replayed all these old games and I kind of like re-fell in love with Sam and Max again. I played both of the games, um, in high school and at the time, because of the access to the internet, I was able to, cause back when I was a kid, I was just like, I played these games and then I was just like, I didn't even know where they came from. I didn't know that they were like popular. I just like, they some guy just like gave us a computer and he had all these games and it was like a bunch of point and click adventure games, but there was also like a, a doctor game where you like performed surgery on somebody. And then there was like dig dug and like, I had no frame of reference for where these games came from. But then in high school, when I kind of knew what they were and also had access to the internet and I could like look up things, I did, I di- I dived deep into these games and that was whenever I, Learned that Sam and Max had like comics, and uh, you know was able to read them and stuff like that, and kind of learn more about the actual characters and where they came from and stuff like that. So, so I sort of had this obsession with this game in 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 high school, and I read the comics and read and you know poured through like wiki pages and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, these are these are literally just like some of my favorite games
0: of all time. Um I, I love point and click adventure games so much. It's funny too, because I my first exposure to Steve Purcell, Purcell's work was also his video game work, because we had Secrets of Monkey Island, and I just like inject it into my brain. Like I loved it. And I, I didn't play Zach McCracken, um, which he did the box art for, but I my my neighbor had it and I rem, I vividly remember seeing the box art and being like damn that bark's art is cool it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to explain now the like the weird desolate gaps in culture during that time period where you would like you just kind of consumed whatever your family had and then you would get these random trips to the drugstore or whatever where there'd be like two comics and you'd be like (gasps) what is this or you're at some friend's house and they have like you know whatever uh like I remember one of my friends growing up had the USS Flag, the GI Joe giant ship, and I thought that like that was just the craziest shit I'd ever seen. Like I I it it was mind-blowing. Like I didn't even know that existed. And then seeing the USS Flag in person and having it be bigger than I was was just like this is the greatest. Like I don't need a house. Why would why would someone buy a house when this exists? <laughs>
1: Yeah. And it's like, and it's almost like, I mean, maybe it's like mysterious because you don't even you like now you're like, oh yeah, this thing came out and like, oh, this is from this company or like this it's based on this franchise or it's developed from this book or whatever. But back, but back then when you're a kid, and then in the nineties, whenever we weren't just like a globally connected seek, you know, network of, of servers, you literally didn't know where things came from. So you're just like, this mysterious thing that like for all i know there's only one of these in the world yeah. like yeah, yeah, like yeah. that i we were gifted a computer by i think a coworker of my dad's and it just had these games that i d- had, i didn't know where they were from um and you're just like yeah you're just like that's part of it where you're just like what, like i don't even know what this is like this is just some mysterious thing that i just happened to
0: find like a like a lost treasure or something and and the the box art for the for games from that time period too was like almost the equivalent of like a movie trailer now where like the box art could make or break a game and so you would like have like we had the we actually had the box art too um to monkey secrets of monkey island but i w- i wasn't allowed to play the game all the time so i was like constantly like thinking about the game and like just staring at the box art like it's like I could probably draw that from memory right now, you know, like the giant skull and the guys kind of like standing in a staggered line walking towards the viewer with the sword. Like I, I was obsessed with that box art almost more than the game. It was almost kind of like the box art was this like totemic religious experience for me. And the game was like going to church or something where you were kind of like, yeah, this is cool or whatever. But like box art <laughs> which isn't true it's not true i loved the game i loved the game that was a clumsy metaphor but i i really like that that box art was just such a big piece of that for me yeah and the,
1: and the box art for those games also kind of like it actually the game actually delivers on the promise of the box art unlike a lot of yes games like i mean later on like as we moved into the playstation in 64 era um then it was starting it started to be like okay so like yeah, these are some, like, impressive graphics, and I mean, I love, like, 8-bit and 16-bit graphics on games, but, you know, kind of the calling card of, of video games on the Super Nintendo and the Nintendo, especially in the more early 90s, was that, like, the box art would be this, like, glorious painting that was epic, and then the game was, like, you were just a little square.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, yeah,
1: yeah. But, but like, the, the, the art in these games is beautiful, and... You know, it's 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 pixel art. So like the paintings on the cover, it's not exactly like that, but it's like it's like just as good or maybe even better because you're just like, how the fuck did they do this? Like pixel art, they're just like assembling these
0: amazing paintings out of just like one dot at a time. Yeah, the and also the the anatomy of the characters in those Lucasfilm games is very there's like a decision behind it, you know, like if they all feel a part of the world where a lot of those early 16-bit and 8-bit games, it's like, I don't know that there's a real intentionality behind the original Mario 8-bit drawing, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, he's a square because they had fucking eight pixels to do it and then they kind of shaped our conception of what the character outside of the game looks like in order to acquiesce to the restrictions of the game in the, the character in the game. But for whatever reason, the way those characters are designed by those Lucasfilm games they feel like decisions are really being made, you know?
1: Yeah, and they're, and they're, more, they're more designed, kind of going back to what I was saying about it, feeling like you're like playing a show or whatever. They're, they're, they're designed more like cartoons than they are just like a, a playable avatar in a game. Like like Super Mario who is just a playable avatar. He has a walk cycle that's like repetitive and he jumps and that's about it. Um, he probably has like four frames of animation essentially. Um, Sam and Max and all these characters whether it's you know the characters in maniac Mansion or day of the tentacle or even like the Indiana Jones games that they did um they're 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 crafted like a like a a cartoon um and they have like the life the animation has that life
0: and that like the 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 expressiveness and the personality to it. It's interesting too because like a lot of that stuff I feel's I feel like it comes directly from Steve Purcell's artwork. And in the comics, you know, this the original Salmon Max comics, there's like three of them. Like it's not it's it's not like he was particularly prolific. Like he made like a twenty-two-page story a year for like three years. And everything that's and Max Kind of comes from those two or three issues. And it's in, you know, like there was a, there was an Epic issue. There was a Kamiko special, like a summer special. And then I think like he self published a book that had bits of the Epic stuff in it. Um, But he expanded it for the Epic reprint. I think if if my memory is serving me correctly, but it's so weird that you can build an entire mini cult media empire off of like, two single issues of a comic you know like it's there's really not a lot of Sam and Max stuff especially at this point in the story there's a little bit more later which we'll get to but at this point in the story prior to starting work at Lucasfilm there's basically two maybe three issues of comics depending on how you want to slice the bread which is just so surreal um, do you remember? Do you remember when you first found those comics? Because you said you found them in high school.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. I just I found them on a forum or whatever. I'm pretty sure it was a forum, uh, Lucasarts forum, um, in in high school. And then um, and yeah, and I, and I don't even know if I read all of them, but I certainly read at least one of them. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think I kind of have the answer for that too, which is that with Sam and Max, and I think this is the reason why it was able to evolve into a a game uh and I don't want to get too much into how that happened cuz we're going to get to that later but um as we're going to go through this episode I you know as the years go on and the iter- the iterations of the characters whether it's those na- those early 90s um Lucas Arts games or the later on um uh um Telltale episodic games leading up all the way to like the more recent VR game that they did um throughout all of that time, whether it was the games or the comics or the animated series, the, the they' it's interesting because they're they they all they're all basically the same, right? There's no real evolution to what Sam and Max is. they it's just they, they all feel the same. And I think the reason for that is because the, I think the I think the characters kind of like transcend like the medium like the, Sam and Max have Steve Purcell imbued, Sam and Max with such a distinctive personality and they are so definitively Sam and Max and, the, and what that what that dynamic of what those characters are is so recognizable that it's basically something you can just iterate on in infinitely and it doesn't really matter what it is, whether it's the game or an animated series or whatever. You can just keep repeating that over and over again and all in the the the, the, the formula is just these two characters walk around a crazy ass world and they're both also insane and it's just utter chaos and they're just rapid firing dense wordplay jokes with this very particular tone. And you can just do that forever. It never needs to like evolve or uh, innovate. And so I think that's the reason why I think that you can look at just those few comics and just be like, I get it. Like Sam and Max, like, like that, that thing from Rick and Morty, Sam and Morty, the game, Sam and Sam and Morty forever, Sa- or Sam and Max forever, Sam and Max into the future. Like you see it and you're just like, oh, these characters for the rest of time. Like, I just want to see something with Sam and Max, like every day for the rest of my life. I don't care what it is. Just these characters talking.
0: Yeah. The, and the, the comics have this very specific sense of humor where I've, I did, had not, I had not read the comics until relatively recently and it's it's weird to me that i hadn't because i love talking animal comics like i like howard the duck fucking tmnt fucking i even like you know radio radioactive adolescent teenage or uh radioactive adolescent uh kung fu whatever the fuck oh it's kung fu pandas and karate hamsters or whatever all those like weird riff characters on the tmnt were Samurai Pizza Cats Samurai Pizza Cats SWAT Cats Battletoads SWAT Cats I fucking love SWAT Cats Yeah uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah Fucking (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Fucking uh, Fucking Time Beavers The Tim Truman First Comics Like I Dinosaurs for Hire Like I I love That 80s black and white The 80s black and white Talking animal boom And I think Usagi Yojimbo And I think the reason why I never really found Sam and Max until recently is because Sam and Max is so much more known. They're like video game characters that happened to start in comics as opposed to comic book characters that got adapted into a video game. And I just, it's really weird reading them for the first time and almost being sad, you know, because it's like so incredibly in line with my interests and my sense of humor and the style of storytelling that I make and not having seen it before is like this weird, like, it's, it's almost kind of like you're, you're like nostalgic or sad for a friend that you had but never had. You know what I mean? Before you came into my life, I missed you so bad. I missed you so bad. I missed you so, so bad. Carly Ray Jepsen is right, man. She's a prophet. Is a fucking prophet. I mean, this is this is a slight side
1: tangent, but I, I've all, pe- whenever anybody makes fun of that line and they're just like, that doesn't make make sense. Like, how can you miss somebody before you know them? Like making fun of like a dumb line in a pop song or whatever. I'm just like, haven't you ever met somebody who you connected with so powerfully that you're like in, re- in context of having met you in retrospect, I feel like I was missing you from my
0: life all this time. Come on, man. Don't be and, a, and if they say no, fuck that person. Yeah, they're boring as shit. Yep, we don't need you in our life, Mortimer. Yeah, fuck
1: Mortimer, the third uh, host of Deep Cuts that was fired before the first episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, originally, it was me and and Andrew and Mortimer, and uh, Mortimer was this like really contentious, like nuh-uh type of personality. And initially, Andrew wanted Mortimer on the show because. Andrew thought that conflict would be really good for the show, and it would it would spark conversation and 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 it would increase the level of conflict on the show. And uh, after two episodes, which we've never aired, Mortimer was fired, yep. And in the scenario in which this is
1: all a bit, which it's not, this is all true. I was. It, when, when you join deep cuts, it's kind of like becoming the president and they like tell you about the aliens. Oh like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I've, yeah. I've been given, I've been given all of the insider information, but if this was hypothetically just a bit, which it's not, but if it was aside from the Mortimer stuff, that is actually legitimately true. The concept of that when, before deep cut started, Andrew did want a third person on the show. That would be the person that would like have differing opinions and like argue about stuff and he thought that that would be that would make a more interesting show because he kind of felt like you and him had two similar of like opinions on things and he thought that it might be boring for the two of you to just agree about everything and he kind of wanted like a third person to create that conflict and you convinced him not to do that and it ended up being way better because in in retrospect like fuck creating conflict and arguing about shit that's stupid like the, what the show actually ends up being is way better than just like three dudes arguing
0: yeah yeah uh look our dearly beloved and departed papa pricey had he had an an instrumental hand in shaping the world of deep cuts the mr treehouse would not be the same without him but we'll have bad ideas every once in a while <laughs> you know we got to be re- reeled in and quite frankly the uh, the mortimer paradigm that was being potentially explored by our dearly beloved and departed papa pricey uh i just wouldn't have done the show like i i couldn't have i couldn't have hung out with mortimer for that long like i just couldn't <laughs> do it you know yeah. so we we had to fire him or yeah, you had to fire just, him yeah i had to i had to just be like hey bro i can't fucking do this shit uh <laughs> which is funny cuz the first time that we recorded at Papa Pricey's old office where there was a, there was a a podcast studio in there that we recorded maybe the first, what, 10 episodes, eight episodes in that studio before the pandemic happened. We went in there one time and Mortimer was there prior to us recording. And it was really like, uh, hmm, don't pay attention to what we're doing right now. Don't even worry about it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I'm having I'm having a a nostalgic trip down memory lane. Oh, Mortimer. Steve Purcell joined LucasArts in 1988 as an artist and game designer. He worked on many iconic gaming staples from the time. His first job at LucasArts, believe it or not, was to paint the cover to Zach McCracken. His characters, Sam and Max, became popular around the LucasArts offices because Purcell would leave copies of the comics and drawings of the characters around and would often draw them during meetings. They got so popular, in fact, that there were rough models of the characters generated to train the new game animators on in the scum system. Purcell was shortly thereafter approached by LucasArts' reps, asking if he'd want to do a one-page comic strip for their new magazine, The Adventurer. He agreed, but only if he could draw Sam and Max in the strips. From 1990 to 1996, he created 12 broadsheet-style comic strips for them.
1: This is the most astonishing part of the story for me personally where you know this isn't this isn't just some guy went to a studio and pitched a game or whatever like it's not just like oh i created this idea and i went and pitched it this is a this is a this is somebody who manifested a not only just this these games but manifested this decades long franchise just purely from being a cheerleader for these characters and just loving them and repping them every chance he could get. Like these characters were created whenever he was a kid and they weren't even, he didn't even create them. His brother created them and he, he connected and loved these characters so much. And he imbued them with such a life that he not only carried these characters with him throughout, you know, his teenage years into college drawing college strips there, then doing them as as, getting them published as comics, then working at this video game company where like, he didn't need to do this. He he had a job and he was just working on projects. He didn't need to go around like doodling Sam and Max and like leaving like drawings of them around and like slowly getting them integrated into the culture of the company and getting everybody to kind of grow to love them to the point where they were wanting to make the game because they just, They were like, yeah, Sam and Max, like, we love this. We, you know, he didn't need to do any of that. He just he could have just worked his job or whatever. Um, But he just like championed these characters so hard. And for so long, he just like inceptioned everybody into loving them to the point where like this franchise was just kind of handed to him because everyone was just like, we love Sam and Max. You've been talking about him all this time. We love it. Let's do it, baby. Let's do it. And that's, that's the most astonishing part to me.
0: It's so funny too, cause there, I did that same thing when I worked in an office. I would draw the villain from Mary Tyler Moorhawk, Dracula Satanic Hill, on whiteboards, and I would draw him on like the scripts, just as, you know, before the actors would come in, I'd be killing time, and I'd be drawing little fucking, you know, Dracula Satanic Hills, and then everybody would always be like, oh, what's that? I was like, oh, this is my character, Dracula Satanic Hill. He's like a demon guy trapped in a suit and armor. Oh, that's cool. And, it doesn't go anywhere. And I wasn't doing it to try and convince someone at a media company to like adapt my character into something. It was just what you do as an artist. You get in, you get obsessed with these things because you're always thinking about them. So they kind of come out through your hands, right? And, uh, I cannot imagine the amount of times that this motherfucker had to be like, I'm just leaving this sticky note drawing on this whiteboard. <laughs> like just for years and i think it's also different too because like lucasfilm at this time was like 10 people or not lucasfilm lucas arts was like 10 people it really wasn't a lot of you know they were 10 people made all the star wars movies yeah 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 um yeah but you know the lucas arts video game division in the beginning was just like you know steve purcell two other artists and a couple animators and two game designers and like, like that's kind of it and You know, when you're when you're an artist like that, I think you also become interested in the artistic output of the people around you, which then people started being like, oh, most of us are kind of journeyman draftsman type people. And you actually have a story sense. and You have characters that are defined. And, oh, look, we can even read about the characters. Oh, and then we kind of figure out that point of view of those characters. And then, you know, all of the all of the early LucasArts games were designed on a system called Scum. And. They would just train people on scum using models of Sam and Max because they, everybody knew what they were supposed to look like. Everybody knew how they were supposed to act. And so because of that, they're almost kind of like office inside joked their way into making a pilot, basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. It was just like, it was, I, I, I'm, I'm having trouble like trying to think of like a, an analog to it, but yeah, it's just like, if. If you just developed an inside joke with one of your friends at work and you just kept doing it every day. And then one day the CEO was just like, we want to turn that into one of our products because it's so good. And the
0: crazy thing is he didn't get screwed. Like normally it's like, oh, you've been doing this thing around the office. Okay, give it to us. We'll own it and we'll make it into a thing and it'll live. But like he kept the rights to his character. He had a lawyer. He continued to publish comics after the games came out sort of you know they're few and far between but they they exist he could have he could have he could have uh you know there's multiple game franchises and it's it's fascinating to look at how it all came together which is what we will be doing after the break Act 2, a really funny LucasArts reference. 1993 saw the release of Sam and Max Hit the Road, a graphic adventure game produced by LucasArts. The game is a loose adaptation of the 1989 Sam and Max on the Road comic book. It sees the titular characters taking on a case of a missing Bigfoot from a carnival and traveling to many tourist locations in order to attempt to solve the mystery. Development began on the game in 1992 with the intention to use the new settings and characters after the success of Maniac Mansion and Monkey Island Games. Purcell, then employed at LucasArts, decided to license the characters for the purposes of the game. I bet there was
1: at least one guy at at the Lucasfilm Games office who was just like, I fucking hate these guys. (laughs) <laughs> like I, like it was just like and it was just like so annoyed that they were drawn everywhere and so annoyed that they were part of the training materials and then whenever they announced they were making the game he was just like what the fuck god damn it i fucking hate sam and max
0: ah! yeah his his name was sam n maxwell <laughs> and he was just like my name is sam and max do not fucking take my name, Steve Purcell. And he's like, I've been doing this since I was a kid. Fuck! He just thought damn he was- it. He thought he was making fun of him. Several of the tourist traps featured in the game were based on real locations and experiences of the developers. Purcell recollected a childhood visit to Frog Rock and remembered thinking that it doesn't even look like a frog. LucasArts planned a relatively short timetable for the production of Salmon Max. The entire game was to be produced in eight short months. To make things even more complicated, The LucasArts team opted to storyboard the whole game prior to programming, treating it like a fully animated film. Hit the Road was also the first game to include full speech soundtrack and music, which Purcell viewed as a dream opportunity, understandably. He was over the moon with the chance to hear his long-running characters actually speak. Bill Farmer was cast as Sam, and Nick Jameson was cast as Max. A full jazz soundtrack was produced for the game, which added to what made the game distinct and impressive compared to the other adventure games produced at the time. The tone of the game is more adult and edgier than previous entries into the blossoming adventure genre. Alright, this is your this is your opportunity, Papa Spicy, Spapa Spicy. <laughs> this is your opportunity. Let's talk Let's talk about Sam and Max hit the road. Yeah, so as it as it as you just kinda
1: said, um, one of the things was uh, cu- uh late later remasters of some of the games added a added a a voice uh, a a full voice cast so you know uh the a remaster of day of the tentacle that came out in like twenty fifteen uh everybody is voiced um and I actually think that I think maybe the original game was voiced as well, but that was later but some of the earlier games uh while I love a lot of them um sam and Max was the first one. That all the character, like there was actual voices. Characters talked. It wasn't just text on screen. Um, and this, and the soundtrack is really good. It's really amazing. Um, so it's this really immersive world that feels lived in, and based on these sort of like rapid fire jokes where they're referencing old cases and stuff like that. It really quickly world builds to the point where you just feel like you you feel like you're watching a show that you've been watching for years and you're playing it and you're controlling the characters. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it was just, it was just super immersive and super entertaining and you could just get lost in these games. Um, and beautiful as well, uh, and really well animated and all of that stuff. And the cutscenes are really cool. Um, and then the, the other aspect of it was, um, you know, one of the big issues with the adventure games leading from the late 80s into the early 90s, was there was this thing in, in in point and clicks that was called moon logic where basically in order to try to like make the game the the, the play time longer they were trying to stretch out like how like they're basically trying to get people's money worth you you'd buy a game for like 60 bucks or whatever it was and they're just trying to make it feel worth it so they're in a lot of these adventure games especially early on the Number one, you could like, you could run into dead ends where you could just like choose the wrong thing and then die.
0: And then you have to start the game over or at least start <laughs> from a previous point. I love that idea, though, that they're just like, fucking idiot. Why did you go down that alleyway? Fucking learn that lesson. Yeah. I mean,
1: <laughs> I mean, literally the games did that. Like it's a lot of the Sierra games, especially like King's Quest. Like you just you could just fucking die and then games over and you have to start over. Um And people really didn't like that. It was a way to make the game longer, but people hated that. And then the other thing was there was, there were these moon logic puzzles in the games where essentially like there was no logic or rhyme or reason to them at all. You just had to like walk around for hours, banging your head against a wall, trying to figure out what the fuck you had to do until you just stumbled into the weirdest, most convoluted logic to figure out a puzzle so it would be like, it would be something like, um, it would be something like, uh, the, you know, this, we need to fill this lake uh, or like, oh, there's like, there's a, there's all these like fish that are flopping at the bottom of this canyon and they're, they're like, they, they say that like they hate water and they, they wish that they lived on a farm. And then you have to figure out how to like make the fish happy so that, they'll like open up a secret gate that you can get into. And then you're just like, how the fuck do we like make the fish happy? Maybe we fill the, the, the Canyon with water. And then you like go find water. And you're like, is this, does this work? And they're like, Nope, it's not the water. And then you're like, wait a minute, if it's not filling the Canyon with water, then what the fuck do we need to do? And then finally, at some point you find out that like, you have to go to a farm and then you have to milk a bunch of cows. And then you have to like, collect all the cow's milk and then you fill the lake with the cow's milk. It's like it, they were puzzles like that where they just made zero sense and you, you basically couldn't figure them out unless you like somebody told you what to do. Like you had a friend who heard from a friend who heard from a friend. This is how you do this. And maybe they got it from like some, some forum on, on the early internet or something like that. And people really didn't like those things. That was like one of the most frustrating parts about adventure games. And LucasArts, um, as they started developing games, they started moving away from that. And they basically decided like, we don't want to have dead ends and we don't want to have puzzles that make no sense and are just designed to like pad out the runtime of a game. And so they started doing that as they, as they got going with their early games, the Indiana Jones games and, and Zach McCracken and stuff like that. And then I feel like they basically perfected it with Sam and Max where, like, it's a really enjoyable gameplay experience. Um, The game loop is not anywhere near as frustrating as some of those earlier adventure games. There are some really frustrating puzzles in it, but nothing like that. Everything, like, makes sense and is intuitive, and you still feel smart whenever you're solving the puzzles, but it's not a thing where you just, like, I, I literally don't know where to go right now. I'd quit. Like, I'm not playing this anymore. Um... So it was one of the first games that they the, the first adventure games uh, at all uh, and also just that LucasArts produced that was just like a really fun, rewarding experience that didn't feel unfair. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I it was it was great. I loved it. I loved every aspect of it. It's super funny. The, the voice acting in it is is really good. Like there are there are games like now for like the PS5 that don't have as good of, like,
0: voice acting performances as this. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. What the- I think it's also pretty pretty interesting to look at this in the same context of when uh, when we did the episode about Velocity Gnome and, like, looking at what our show is, which obviously feels a little different now that you're here, Mr. Spandrew Spice. You know, it's it's interesting, though, looking at our show and the, the shared sense of humor that... Andrew and I had, and that you and I kind of have. Granted, yours is a little bit different because it's kind of like Andrew's, but with an eye patch. Uh, and how our show kind of has all of these hallmarks of st- like Steve Purcell isms, which I wasn't really aware of. But having read the comics, they're now like so on point. Of like, you know, you and I are working on a a separate project that is a part of Mystery Treehouse, and you wrote a a thing that just cracked me up so much where there's a scene where we're in the mystery tree house running to answer a telephone and you wrote this little like jingle hello for me where I say like uh hello it's the mystery tree house you pay us we solve the mystery we get the money uh and then we have a better we hire slogan writers to have a better catchphrase or something like that. Yeah. Was, and that it, is it
1: happens to you. We solve it, you pay us, we hire a better slogan writer
0: yeah it's amazing like and that is so funny because that is like not one-to-one but it is very close to a Sam and Max joke like it's very close to a Sam and Max joke and I prior to being like I I'd read the comics but I wasn't I didn't really remember them all that well I wasn't like a big Sam and Max person and then revisiting them for the research for this I was like wow this is like really similar to what we do and I never really put it together yeah, I don't think I I
1: don't I don't think I would have ever thought about that or realized that without you pointing it out, but yeah, I mean, once again not being cognizant of it, cognizant of it or it being like an intentional thing, I think I definitely must have been like highly inspired by the comedic tone of Sam and Max and a few of the a few other games as well. Like a lot of those games are like really funny in a way that's very sp- specifically in my wheelhouse. Um and also, like Duckman, like that that show also had a similar style to it, and I loved Duckman. Um, I don't know if you ever watched that, but uh, yeah, it's, I I Duckman is the like RoboCop looking one. No, it's it was a cartoon. Jason Alexander was the main character. He was Duckman, and he was like a private eye that was a duck. How
0: have I never fucking seen this? Hold on, let's. I'm gonna. Uh, this is because, like, because w- there was that weird period where, like. There was that weird period where it was like Darkwing Duck. And then what was the robot looking one with like one wheel? Oh, yeah. Who was that guy? Gizmo Duck from DuckTales.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's who I was thinking of. Yeah, but Duckman is is not a kid's cartoon. It's it's like an adult cartoon. Um,
0: Oh, yes. I have seen this, but I've never watched it.
1: But yeah, I, I feel like Duckman had a very similar comedic tone and style to Sam and Max, where it was just like rapid fire kind of like convoluted wordplay mixed with kind of like lowbrow humor um and yeah i I think i think that that must have definitely influenced my comedic sensibilities a lot I, i don't think i was ever aware of that but now now that you've
0: now that we're talking about it for sure yeah upon its release hit the road was viewed as a modest commercial success In an interview, Purcell stated, It was never anything compared to Star Wars, but it sold enough to be considered a hit by most standards. 1997 saw the premiere of The Adventures of Sam and Max Freelance Police, a children's animated TV show starring the titular duo.
2: Okay, little buddy. On three. Ready? One. One and a half. Three! All right, sonny, consider yourself
0: pinched. Who these guys?
2: So uh, Dan Smith uh, was an editor at Nelvana for a long time, story editor. And he was always a champion for wanting to see this thing made into a TV show. And uh, we managed to get together and we actually worked together developing a story bible for it. And we pitched it together in L.A. to Fox Kids. and uh, And he got these characters a lot. He understood them and uh understood like what the differences are between comics and TV to you know kind of help you know make the choices of what you know there's certain sort of things you're not going to do on TV and so you do something else instead and, you know if you're not going to shoot guns at each other maybe you know you maintain some of the weirdness of the characters instead which is what I made my mandate was you know keeping the weird quotient up to snuff so if they it couldn't be so morally questionable. Maybe they're, you know, just, it's just the the kind of randomness of it and the strangeness of the worlds and the stories that we explore. Don't anybody move. This is a stick-up. All we want is the dough and maybe one of those Elvis-shaped decanters. We want a drink from the neck all of a king. It's an interspecies hold-up. I know your voice. You're that Henderson kid. <laughs> Start scoping the cash into a plain brown bag, old man. Giant rat guys. Weird. Interesting. And somehow very appropriate. Shall we slap the sleeper on him and make him cry uncle? Can't think of a reason not to. I lived in an old barn at the time, and I would work through the fax machine, and I would get bundles of uh, FedEx packages every day. It's like, you know, here's 60 more pages of characters and turnarounds and things like that. And I'd be on the phone with Dan Smith for hours at a time. We'd just sift through all the scripts, and we'd write jokes into the scripts and change things around and there were a few scripts I wrote myself and uh, just kind of uh, keeping in touch and I'd go up there for casting sessions from time to time and working with the the production team they'd always go out to pool, you know go play pool across the street at lunch so it was fun to go to Toronto and visit with those guys and uh, Actually, you know, work directly with them for little stretches. But the rest of the time I was in my little barn, you know, on the phone and working through the fax machine. Yeah, yeah,
1: uh-huh, yeah, uh huh. You got that right. And how?
2: It was the stern guiding voice of the commissioner with just the right kind of hair-raising case we can wrap our overactive adrenal glands around. Are you talking dirty? He says there's bad, bad trouble on the moon, Max. Let's pack up and blow this joint. I think for hardcore comics fans, it was a kind of a, a tough shift because they wanted everything that they had in the comics. And uh what's interesting is um Sometimes guys, those guys would say, "Wow, well, it's too bad you had to water down the the comic for the show." But then at the same time, they say, well, I can't believe they let you say that," because there'd be certain jokes that people, "Wow, I can't believe that joke was on TV," and uh, and that always cracked me up because I thought it was a contradiction, because at the same time you're saying it's watered down, it's it's still got stuff in it that's making you you know your eyebrows go up. So that was gratifying actually to hear, and and I think we, you know, we. We, we'll try to be sensitive to, you know, what you show. You're not going to have violence, so you replace it with goofiness instead. And, uh, and I think the spirit of the characters is definitely there. I think I think it was right on, you know, as far as their personalities. I love having a sub-basement of solitude with our very own genius girl to think up wildly improbable stuff
1: for us. Yeah, one, one thing that we haven't talked about so far, um, or thus far, um, which I really appreciate about Sam and Max... Which like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want everything to be like this, but it's it's refreshing um, to to have an outlet of something like this. Um, and I actually feel like this is kind of where I, I diverge from Salmon Max. Of you know the things that we, the things that I write and the things that we make tend to have a little bit more of like an emotional grounding to them, like sort of couched in the the comedic tone and stuff like that. But Salmon Max. In any of its iterations, is consistently just anarchy. Like there is zero emotional grounding. There is zero like of of any kind of logical through line. Like Sam and Max are just fucking insane, and then the world around them is fucking insane. And that's usually like that kind of that kind of like breaks certain like narrative rules of like you know you shouldn't have a story where everybody's crazy. Like there has to be a straight man and all these things like that. And they just do not follow that at all like every character is insane and there is there is there is no like logical continuity people just say and do insane things without any consequences and the plots have no real consistency to them um and so like when you when you watch it kind of similar to watching a show like 30 rock or something like that it's just like it's just like rapid fire insanity that just kind of washes over you you're not like, oh, I'm invested in this plot or whatever. You're just kind of letting like it's like that scene in the Street Fighter movie when they when they turn Blanca into a monster by just showing him like rapid fire images of war and destruction.
0: And then he's just like, and he turns into Blanca. It's like that. <laughs> it's 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 funny, too, because the only real difference. I mean, there's I guess maybe some violent the, the violence quotient maybe is a little bit different from the comics to the show. But the only real structural difference is the fact that there's a a human character introduced as a supporting character for Sam and Max called the geek. And the geek is kind of like their Oracle or Alfred character where she like designs equipment for them. Sometimes she's the engine that sets up whatever the plot is for the episode of the week. Sometimes she's the one that is the deus deus ex machina and has the solution. Um, But she's like the only one that really the only real significant difference between the show and the and the comics. The thing that's really funny to me about it, though, is not the fact that she's there as a human character, but the fact that you can just feel they don't have a solution for what human characters look like in the world. The backgrounds look like Steve Purcell drawings. Sam and Max themselves look very, very close to the way he draws them. The supporting characters, most of which are anthropomorphized in some way, look like Steve Purcell drawings or people emulating his style in a certain aspect. The geek looks fucking half-baked like that. You can tell that he doesn't care about humans. And this the character designers that worked on the show didn't have a way of taking his drawing style for the anthropomorphic animal characters and mapping it onto a human face because the geek's. Human anatomy is not cool in the way that Sam and Max's squashed and stretched animal anatomy has been refined over like 20 years of him drawing them. Yeah. And honestly, just get, get the fucking human character out of there. Yeah. Who the fuck needs? Yeah. I agree. Um, but the thing that sticks out about the show to me is like the density of jokes is still there from the games and the comics. And the show almost feels more like a silver age comic than the comics do because the comics are kind of rooted in the wackiness and experimental stuff that was happening in the black and white explosion in the eighties. And the show takes those ideas and gives them just like just enough structure to make them even weirder. It's very, it's very strange.
1: Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's it's a, it's a kid's cartoon and because they're structuring it around a 30 minute, like three or two act structure that, any show has to be on network television like re- reading this sort of like rapid fire insanity in a comic is its own sort of like in- compartmentalized experience like i'm reading i'm reading this weird zany comic book but you're watching a show on tv that has the structure and plot of a show but it's just that insanity cuz you're expecting another type of show you're expecting cuz the show was on fox kids it has it the, the animation Like the the animation house that did it, there were other shows that use that same animation house to the point where it looks like other than the style of the show that was Steve Purcell's, like the animation style looks similar to some of those other shows. And yet it doesn't have any of the trappings or formula of one of these typical like 90s kids, 30 minute animated shows. It's just like the skeleton of that. But then, like, what the fuck? Like, this is insane. These characters are psychopaths. There's no
0: <laughs> yeah. n- there's no yeah. normal character to relate to in this. Unfortunately, the show only lasted 13 episodes, running from October 4th, 1997 to April 25th, 1998. There have been many attempts at producing sequel games to hit the road. However, they never truly panned out. The first attempt at making a new Sam & Max game was in 2001, with Sam & Max Plunge Through Space. The game was supposed to be released as an Xbox exclusive. It was developed by Infinite Machine, a small company consisting of former LucasArts employees. The story was created by Purcell and fellow game designer Chuck Jordan. In classic hit-the-road archetypes, the game would have seen Sam & Max traveling across space to rescue the stolen Statue of Liberty. However... The game was never produced due to Infinite Machine going bankrupt within 12 months of opening. And and basically the the situation
1: going into the late 90s and early 2000s was um there was a transition from basically there was a transition be- from like there had been 3D games before that prior to that, obviously. But there was a transition between like it being OK for games to be 2D and that being like oh, yeah, sure, there's some 3D games, but like 2D games is the status quo. And there was a transition into, no, 3D games, like, why would you make a 2D game? That's old shit. And basically, the adventure, uh, the adventure genre as a whole just didn't survive that transition, much like silent film actors who didn't uh, survive the transition to talkies because they had accents that people didn't know about or they just weren't actually like, they, they they their acting style wasn't suited for audio um they they just they just couldn't do it they they nobody wanted 2D games anymore number 1 and they 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 fumbled with trying to make the jump into 3D and you know there was uh one of the last games that Lucas Arts uh produced was a game called Grim Fandango which is a great game and actually Utilizes 3D in a in a in an amazing way, and it's it's a game that would have been groundbreaking a couple of years before, but adventure games had basically died by that point. It was just like it was on life support, and they put that game out, and it was a huge flop because people just weren't hungry for that type of gaming experience anymore. Like it was all 3D platformers and and um, action games, and so the the entire genre as a whole just died. Um, and so in this period right here that we're talking about, there were, I mean, basically LucasArts and Sierra just like hung up their tools. Like they were like, we're not gonna, we're not making these games anymore. Um, but but there were other studios that were still kind of trying to do it. And there were other game projects that were still trying to produce adventure games in a post uh, death of adventure game world. And you see that here where they, there was these, there were these false starts where they were trying to make another Sam and Max game, but it just wasn't happening because there wasn't any money anymore because nobody wanted to produce these games anymore because nobody was really playing them. And they were also much more expensive for the return on income that they would get. Adventure games cost a lot of money to make and then they would make like this much money. Whereas like these, these 3d action and platformer games would cost more than an adventure game would cost to produce, but they would make this much money. Like it like the, the margins were like, they were just blown out of the fucking water. So um, they, yeah, they, at that, at that period in time, like basically Sam and Max just never had a chance of actually seeing any of these game projects come to fruition.
0: A year later in 2002, LucasArts announced that they would be finally producing a sequel entitled Sam and Max colon freelance police. This was announced as one of the cornerstone debuts of E3 that year and was like the original intended to be part of the point and click adventure game, which would have utilized a 3D engine. Spandrew, do you want to describe some of the, 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 stills that we have from the unreleased game? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's Sam and Max, uh,
1: translated into 3D into like kind of like early 2000s um, somewhat crude CGI animation. Um, it's it's uh, it's Sam and Max, but makes make it Veggie Tales. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's Veggie Tales for sure. Um, and you might not be unfamiliar with it because, you know, later on, whenever Telltale starts producing the episodic ga- uh, Sam and Max games, they effectively look like this. Like they 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 it's better animation better cgi better rendering but effectively like the character models like either they just used these or they just made something that looked basically the same um but so you know they would be familiar to you if you played those games um but but i mean i i like it i i i i at the end of the day i prefer the 2d sprite animation and pixel art backgrounds i you know it's 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 a formative style for me that I grew up loving and I think it's just beautiful. Um, whereas this like early CGI is kind of like of its time, it does not age well. Um, but I still I think it's not bad for what it is. I mean, I like these I like these later Sam and Max games that we're we're gonna talk about
0: shortly. This project was led by Michael Stemmel, one of the original game designers on Hit the Road. Purcell was brought back to contribute to the story and do art for the project. Original voice actors Bill Farmer and Nick Jameson also were set to reprise their roles when, in March of 2004, the project was abruptly stopped. In a statement they issued, they declared that the reason had to do with, quote, Current marketplace
1: realities and underlying economic considerations, which is essentially what I was saying before, which is that, like, this was never going to happen because it was essentially just some guys who had a real affinity for Sam and & Max and just wanted to make another Sam & Max game because they loved it so much, but the game the game market was not going to let this game happen because nobody wanted these games anymore and there wasn't
0: any money for it. Sam & Max fans were up in arms about this, writing letters, sending emails, and asking LucasArts to reconsider. A petition was signed that gained over 32,000 John Hancocks, but to no avail. In 2005, Sam & Max moved to Telltale Games with a series of episodic games, Sam and Max Save the World, Beyond Space and Time, and The Devil's Playhouse were all produced between 2007 and 2010. And that's really interesting. That whole—I mean, we could almost do a whole other
1: episode about Telltale Games, but but you know, briefly, if if you aren't aware, um, Telltale Games was a game studio that was started in the in the like mid to late 2000s that continued on into the the early 2010s that was it was founded by former LucasArts employees, some of the people who were um, instrumental in creating those early games. And essentially what the whole vision of it was, they thought, like, we can simplify the, the, the game mechanics of adventure games and we can move away from the scum system and the item collecting and puzzle solving. And we can take the, the broad um, concept of what adventure games was, which was these immersive story experiences, and we can replace that exploratory item finding puzzle solving aspect with a sort of binary decision making game loop where you're going through a story. And then there's a point, point where it's like, should you go left or should you go right? And then you say right. And then there's another point where it's like, should you shoot? this guy in the face or give him a sandwich and then you choose decisions and those make subtle changes in the story but essentially they're kind of like visual novels or um s- slightly immersive animated web series um kind of um and and when they founded this this company they in addition to like newer properties they also basically wanted to bring they wanted to resurrect every classic game series that they produced at LucasArts so they they made uh, a Monkey Island uh, game. They made a Salmon Max game, so on and so forth. And they thought that they could basically make this profitable by um, instead of releasing a game that was like, you know, 15 hours of of gameplay, they would have this episodic release strategy where you would get, they would release them in seasons where you would get one game that's like a couple hours long. And then in a few months, they released episode two and you get that. And they release, you know, four, three or four episodes or five or six in some cases, and you pay for every one of them. Um, And so there's a there's a lower price point on a sort of like shorter game experience. But um, if you play episode one, you're going to want to get episode two. So in the long run, you're going to be willing to commit to buying all these episodes. Um, And the interesting thing about it was that basically this this idea did not. Work. It was not viable. And what ended up happening was they started producing these games and they were not selling well enough. And then they ended up securing a couple of licenses um, where they got they ended up getting the license to make a Back to the Future game and a Jurassic Park game and a Batman game and a Minecraft game and most of all, a Walking Dead game. And these games were massively popular because they almost kind of fulfilled the, what they intended for these games to be, which were like casual interactive experience for, um, people who were not hardcore gamers. So if you were a huge Walking Dead fan and you wanted more Walking Dead stuff, but you weren't some big gamer, you could casually play the Walking Dead game and you could complete this in an episode of this game in like three or four hours or whatever. And it wasn't hard. All you had to do was just make decisions. Um, And so those games were actually very popular. And in fact, Walking Dead um, won like Game of the Year in the year that it was released um, at like every gaming award show that existed. Um, It was this huge, critically acclaimed game series. But and then and and effectively, what ended up happening was they had all these licensed games that they were like getting a lot of money. From the studios for the licenses and all these other games, the original IP, the Salmon Maxes and also the other things were kind of like they were subsidizing those with the game licenses. Those games weren't making any money. They were just loss leaders of like, we have a passion for making a Salmon Max game, even though nobody's buying this. Um, and they were they made all of their money from these license games. But even though these games were like winning awards and shit and like they had these huge licenses like Batman and Walking Dead, they weren't actually making enough money to cover the like insane amount of development work that went that went into this. They were they were basically like working their developers around the around the clock. Um, and there was this huge problem with this thing in the game development industry called Crunch, where they're just basically like. In order to in order to get this game, this new Walking Dead game turned around in in time for the launch date that we've promised, you all have to work 12 hour days and sleep in the office. And so the overhead of the production was too expensive and they basically lost money. And then this this telltale games like in a fucking puff of smoke went bankrupt and just was a huge failure. Um, So, you know. It's, 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 it's kind of a miracle that these games even exist because they were only made because for a short period of time, Walking Dead and Batman were like paying for this entire studio so that they could like work on a Salmon Max game that was not going to sell well or make any money. <laughs> yeah. And it's, so it's kind of a miracle that these game, games even exist because they never, they kind of, they were made without an audience and without any kind of like uh commercial success whatsoever
0: <laughs> the uh the the realities of that situation are kind of similar in some ways to the LucasArts situation that birthed sam and max to begin with so it's kind of fitting that i mean who knows if it'll be their last appearance in games but it kind of feels like it at least for the foreseeable future that like star wars was this huge success all these companies were started off the back of it george lucas was like hey make some games you guys just like don't lose too much money." And they produced all these weird games, some of which made money and most of which were just kind of like fine, right? And then- Yeah, once again, it was kind of like the Indiana Jones games and then
1: like the flagship series, Curse of Monkey Island, which was- or the Monkey Island series, which was like, was a hit. And then a lot of these other games were just like, yeah, they just didn't make any money.
0: And like, that's kind of- it's the the irony that, that Batman and Walking Dead would- <laughs> would support uh three not one, not two, three salmon max games is is hilarious to me yeah and I, w- I will
1: say in in I would love to do a an episode just about advent- the history of adventure games in general, so maybe we you know could talk about this more in depth in a different episode, but I will say that adventure games had a had a immediate and painful death in the late nineties. And, um, you know, Tim Schafer tried to kind of bring them back in this new format in the like 2010s that just was not a failure. There was no appetite for this type of game, really. Um, and, and it was another kind of failure or false start. But there actually has been uh, a resurgence in nostalgic fueled popularity for adventure games in, in the last, you know, five, six years. Um, There are a bunch of smaller indie developers that are um, that are starting to produce these like throwback adventure games. So, you know, the one of the big ones, it was, you know, uh, several years ago, there was this game that was that was um, created through a a Kickstarter campaign and it was called Thimbleweed Park. And it was created by a, a bunch of the original developers from LucasArts. And it was just a classic LucasArts style adventure game. Like it just it looks exactly like a LucasArts game because literally the same animators who made those games worked on it. And it's it's a game that takes about 30 hours to complete. So it's like it's a really long adventure game. Like those games actually weren't that long back then. This is like a this is a super long adventure game. Um, And it's it's great. It's fucking great. I love it so much. I've I own it. I, I own it on Steam. I own it on Switch. I own it on my PS Vita. And I've played through it like three times. Um, it's a great game. Um, there's and then and then there's some other games that have come out in recent years from indie developers. So there's the Dark Side Detective games, which are another just classic you know, pixel art style point and click adventure game. Um uh there there's a handful of other ones. Uh I'm trying to think of Some of the ones I've played in recent years um, that was, is it, is it called the, the down below? What the fuck is that? Yeah. Hold on. I'm, I'm going to pull this up because I I do want to, I do want to shout out some of these real quick. Um, The journey down, the journey down is another, uh, that's almost kind of more of like an early two thousands, 3d point and click adventure style game. Um, I think there's three of them. Uh, That's that, those are great um and yeah there's 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 just a there's a bunch of them uh and 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 it's not just like oh we're trying to make these happen and they're not happening like because of a lot of the nostalgia that people have people our age have for these games and slightly older than us um they are people are having success producing these new games as a matter of fact um the um as as a matter of fact just a couple of days ago it was announced that there's a new Monkey Island game being produced, Return to Monkey Island. And not only is there a new Monkey Island game being produced, but it is being uh, directed by Ron Gilbert, who is the original creator of the Monkey Island series. He worked on the first three games, and he was not involved in any of the other games after that. Um, The fourth game, the fifth game, the Telltale series, and any of that stuff. And he's returning to make a game that picks up directly after the third game. And that's that's being developed by not only um, not only an indie game studio, Devolver Digital and Ron Gilbert's indie game studio, but also it's being developed in conjunction with a newly resurrected Lucasfilm Games. Lucasfilm Games has brought back that label to start producing more of these adventure games. Um, So there's there's a recent resurgence in these games and I'm, I'm loving every fucking second of it. Um and, and also and also uh not super recently I think it I think it might have been like three or four years ago but um they came out with a Salmon Max VR game and it's great I I, I have it I have it on I, on my Oculus Quest two and like I said at the beginning of this episode you can just take those characters and iterate on them infinity and it will never get old and it will never change and it will always be good and it's a it's a VR game where you're just hanging out with Salmon Max. And they're just rapid firing off weird bullshit, and you're just in the world looking
0: around, and it's great. You know what I want? I want a live action Sam and Max series where it's people in full animatronic Jim Henson style costumes. I want there to be a little person to play Max, and I want John Goodman in a fucking dumbass dog mask to play Max or a uh, Sam, and I want. I want I want that to be a thing like, you know, do you remember uh, the the really strange Superman pilots? I think it's called Super Pup that they made after the George Reeves show uh, got canceled because he died. And then they decided, oh, maybe we'll make a Superman show where they're all dogs and cats and they'll all be played by little people in costumes. That but Sam and Max.
1: Are you laboring under the delusion that I'm going to reject your inquiry? <laughs>
0: Well, on that note, Mister Spapa Spicy, dost thou haveth any final thoughts? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, like I said a bunch of times, I really love these games. I mean, I have a huge affinity for my my entire love for these spawns out of my affinity for the the adventure games of the late nineties and or the late eighties and early nineties. Um, I, I, I I I cape for this genre to this day. Um, I still play games like this all the time. Uh, I played through the, the day of the tentacle remaster that came out in 2015. I, like I said, I played the Salmon Max VR game. I try to go back and play, replay these games every once in a while. Um, I love, I love the characters. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I think the two like main sort of takeaways I have is number one, it's so The thing that's most astonishing and inspiring to me about this is the fact that, uh, you know, Steve Purcell basically manifested this this uh, a classic franchise out of just his passionate championing for the characters themselves, not pitching a thing. He didn't go around pitching a show or a comic or a game or even like a story. He didn't go around being like, I have a story idea about X, Y, Z thing. He went around just like hyping up these specific characters that existed out of the context of any specific story or medium. And he was so passionate and persistent. And you you see, you heard the interviews with him. He's not like a charismatic guy. He is. He is not a pitch guy like that. He didn't he didn't win people's hearts and minds because of how good he was at pitching shit.
0: (laughs) No shit. Yeah.
1: He did it because these characters are just like you see them. And you, you, like everything about them is telegraphed to you in a way that immediately endears you to them because you get it. You 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 look at them for two seconds and you're like, yep, I get it. F- sign me up. And he just went around just like cheerleading for these characters for years and manifested this franchise out of it. Um, that's the most astonishing thing to me about it. And then the other thing is just that, like I said, kind of a couple times before, I'm just repeating myself at this point. But these characters, I'm not saying that they're the best characters ever. Um, I'm not saying that they're the most like innovative characters ever um or any of that stuff I mean they they in fact they they're lacking a lot of the trappings of what's considered great characters they don't really have any kind of like emotional throughline they have nothing really anchoring them to any specific kind of theme or anything like that um but they ha- they're just they they're just pure style and they're so singularly what they are that you you could just iterate on them infinitely and it will always be good and you know that's I'm sure that wasn't intentional by Steve Purcell I'm sure he didn't start off you know uh engineering it to be that way but at somehow he stumbled upon connecting with and falling in love with these characters so thoroughly that he was able to craft them into timeless characters that um just are singular and you you know you 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 could see a couple lines on a page of
0: dialogue and you would know that it was Sam and Max. I think there's another, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said about like their characters being really well-defined, but I think a large percentage of that is the way that he draws them. Like they're so well-defined and well, it's funny to say rendered because they're each made up of like 10 lines, but they're each so crystallized because he's drawn them so many fucking times. And they're both, the drawings that he makes of them are so experiential and weird and exactly what they should be that, that I feel like the characterization comes from those drawings. You know, like he's just spent 40 years drawing them. And so he knows exactly how they move, which then features in how they talk, which then features into their characterizations and what they say. It's really I think it's very admirable. And I think it speaks volumes. There's only like a hundred and fifty pages of Sam and Max comics that exist, and they spawned five games and a tv show like good for you steve purcell you fucking did it and i'm i'm really excited that you didn't get fucked along the process <laughs> yeah for real which kind of goes back to that whole thing of like nobody
1: really cared about what lucas the, the games division of lucas film was doing for a while so there wasn't a bunch of like sharks in the water Trying to like fucking acquire, you know, and 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 edge people out and things like that. It was just it was just some dudes being like, let's make some nerdy shit, and like nobody's paying attention, so let's just keep
0: doing this until somebody notices. <laughs> and on that note, here's hoping that we make many more episodes of our show. And I'm Dave Baker, and I'm Spandrew Spice. This has been Deep Cuts. If you'd like to find me on the internet, you can do so at xDaveBakerX. Spandrew Spice, where can people find you? Or, and heydavebaker.com, that's where you can find all my comics and shit. Spandrew, where can people find you? You can find me
1: just wandering back and forth throughout a circus, desperately looking for a diamond-shaped wrench because there's a cannon that's in the main tent that the valve on it is over-tightened, and so we can't launch the cannon, And I need to launch the cannon to knock out a wall to get access to another room where there's a diamond that I have to return to a um, client that's looking for it. And so in order to launch the cannon, I have to loosen the valve on the cannon. Um, But the 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 lug nut on it is very specifically diamond shaped and the wrench that's in the room with it is not diamond shaped. So I have to find a diamond shaped wrench. And you can also not find me on social media because I don't use it. But if you want to pay your respects to the dear, sweet Papa Pricey that we all remember and love, you can go to DAPriceWrites.com and get his comic, AI, uh, Deadbolt AI Private Eye, which is another detective character. Um, and uh, you can check us out on social media, on Facebook, Deep Cuts Podcast. You can join our Facebook group where we talk about the show and other stuff and make memes. Uh, just search the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. You can join our Discord where we also talk about the show and make memes and other stuff by going to bit.ly.com/slash deepcuts discord. Uh you can follow us on Instagram at DeepCutsPod. Pod. You can follow us on TikTok at Mystery Treehouse. You can go to our website and get some merch, some deep cut shirts and hats and things like that, coffee mugs, stickers, by clicking on the shop. You can also get our Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency patch on the website. It's on the front page. Um, you can still pick up the Mystery Treehouse, Simple Code, Napster musical tape comic. So we produced a, a cassette release of the entire Napster musical we did. We did an episode that was a musical retelling of the story of Napster. And it was a nine song album that we've now done as a, t- a cassette tape release that has a full five page color comic. That is a story starring Dave, Andrew, Hillsmer, and Zero that's included in the tape. Um, if you don't have a tape player, just think about it as a cool comic that also happens to be packaged in a tape that you can display on your shelf or something like that. If you do have a tape player, give it a, give it a spin. Uh, it's a hi-fi recording that sounds pretty good for a cassette release. Um, it's uh 1299 on our website, um, in the States, free shipping. If you're, uh, abroad, there is some shipping on there, but it's available for international shipping and, um, we're currently sold out because we sold out within an hour and a half when we first released it but we have more on order so um if you order one now you should still be able to get one within the next like three or four weeks or so um and I promise you that it will be worth the wait um and you can find the mystery treehouse point and click adventure game coming to an internet near you in the year 2030 All right, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) and everything in between, meme chefs, junior sleuths, veteran deep cuts listeners, and the ones who only know Spandrew Spice as a co-host of this show. Welcome to the inaugural season three Spizza, Spizza Spizza (laughs) Papa Ritza, (laughs) Mima I humbly stand before you asking, nay, begging for you to give me a chance. To take up the mantle of the pizza pizza paparitza mimoritza celebritza and let me make it my own. Much like a new doctor regenerating and choosing a new costume to rebrand this as the Spizza Spizza Spaparitza Mimoritza Celebritza.
0: There's no way that you can be worse than Andrew. He crowned himself winner like four times. I'm gonna I'm gonna say right now, Dave
1: you know he you knew him better than I did you were you were his friend I only briefly knew him but but I saw I saw Hillsmer poll the Facebook group about this and the crowd the crowd is with papa pricey on this one
0: all right let's get into it let's
1: do it so this first meme that we got here this is from blas Suarez and uh just to preface we had to we haven't done one of these in a while and we had to I had to kind of just decide when to start because if we really did like one of these for like every meme that's been made since the last time we did this, it would just be too much. Like you, it would just be three hours. So we're starting at the, uh, the, the Jay-Z night episode arbitrarily. Um, so this first one is from Blas Juarez and it's that meme of, uh, an orangutan on a tricycle, that's chasing after. In the original, it's a little girl, but in this one, it's a zebra, and then it's got Jay Z Knight's face on it. Um, of course, referencing the fact that uh, Jay Z Knight's full name was something
0: Zebra Knight.
1: Yeah, whatever Jessica or whatever her first name was, Zebra Knight. And on the orangutan, it's got my face, Spandrew Spice. And it says, uh Spandrew coming for his inheritance. And then the running away Jay-Z Knight zebra monstrosity. The text says, Jay-Z Knight desi- denying any relation. And this is referring to the fact that in the Jay-Z Knight episode, I, I jokingly mentioned that my name was Spandrew Orangutan Spice. And that I I was inferring that I was like a, a family member of Jay-Z Knight. Um, and... Honestly, like this couldn't have been any more perfect because this orangutan on a tricycle meme has been used so many times by the listeners. And it's like I played right into it by happening to chew. I could have said any animal when I made that joke, but I said orangutan. And it, it was just like I was asking for this meme to be made. Uh, seven. I'm going to give, I'm going to give this, uh, what I believe is a blush special, which is six.
0: No, blush specials. It's been so long I don't remember. I be, but I think it's his is higher than that.
1: God damn it. Eight and what? a half is a Fellini. and and an, a eight is a Fellini Junior? Yeah. And
0: then a is nine. The special seven and a half? I don't think it's a half. I think it's a whole number. Is it? Okay. I don't remember. It's been so long. But regardless, you're giving it a seven and a half? Is that what you said? I said six. No, you're giving it a six? You're giving me yeah. a six? Okay. <laughs> This is great. This one is great. So this This one is this one. Do you want me? You want to alternate or do you just want to? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. This one is it's a field. Well, who's it? Who's it by? Oh, this one is by uh, Kieran Stocks, and it's a uh, it's a green field with a blue, picturesque sky, and there's a shitty Photoshop of Arnold Schwarzenegger like sprinting after that little kid with a what is she holding? A piece of candy or something? She's got like a look on her face. That's like, ooh, and the the text over Arnold Schwarzenegger says Hillsmer paying back rent. And the little girl says Jay-Z Knight taking America for millions.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's so a good one. I, I, f- first of all, really quickly, the little girl is the little girl from the orangutan meme. Oh, that,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. She is the little girl from the orangutan video. Yeah,
1: and yeah, also yeah. Or, the ba- the background is not just a shitty Photoshop pasture. It is the Windows XP default desktop background.
0: Right. Yes. Um I'm I'm gonna go eight. What are you gonna go? Uh
1: yeah, I think I'll I think I'll give it a, a
0: Fellini Junior.
1: Which is an eight. This next one is from Aaron do-
0: <laughs> <laughs> This one is Oh, I'm sorry, it's your turn. I'll let you do it.
1: Yeah, this one's from <laughs> Aaron Dockery. Frequent pizza pizza paparitza memorita celebritza champion. Um let's see how he fares in the spizza spizza spaparica memorizza celebritza. Um <laughs> A much more stringent, uh, decision making process. Uh, it's, it's the Drake meme where he's saying like no to something and then yes to something. And the top, the thing he's saying no to is a picture of Jay-Z Knight. And the thing he's saying yes to is Jay-Z Knight, which is a picture of a knight, like a, like a knight's armor with Jay-Z, the rapper's face photoshopped onto it.
0: I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Fellini Jr.
1: You're going Fellini Jr. on this one. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm gonna go full Fellini. Eight and a half. It, and it also it, it must also be mentioned that the comment on this is due, and you're saying Papa Pricey would be proud.
0: It's got a. It's got quite a few reactions to
1: it. Yeah, a lot. A lot of hug emojis. People miss Papa Pricey. Um. This one. Oh boy. Is, is, oh uh, boy. This one's the uh one of the Bill Bixby's Oscar masterpieces. Um and honestly, like we haven't done this for a long time. And you 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 you'd think that the only the only reason why you'd put this amount of work into something is if it was gonna be part of a contest, but we haven't we haven't done this since last year. And yet on March twenty sixth, he's still cranking these things out. So
0: yeah, go ahead. This is this this is yours. Uh the it's made it's like a weird comic almost. It's made to look like the thumbnails that I post in the Facebook group to let people know when new episodes have gone up, and it's called Hillsmer's Deep Ruts Tuts Brothel. Toots. Toots. Toots Brothel. Uh, book today and get a free tug from Handyman Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's a shot of a treehouse and Hillsmer standing out in front of it, dressed like a pimp with a hat, a cigar dollar sign uh brass knuckles gold chains and a flamboyant jacket and then on the side of the on the side of the treehouse in the background there's a uh sign that says mystery toot brothel uh green ladies and uh a painting of the drunken dalai lama and a green woman uh and then a a sink with a bunch of dildos being washed in it and it says hand-washed Robes and plugs you can do the rubber man and it's a like sex doll that looks like it's of david hasselhoff uh experience digi prices blockchain babes in our new ai <laughs> penetration station <laughs>
1: uh 10 been... 10 for hilarity but seven for the fact that no disrespect but that was spice I did that episode. There was no price involved.
0: Uh, the a- the AI companion who fucks, swing by our gift shop. Uh, and then there's some small little comics down the corner that I can't quite read. But, but yeah, uh, I think it's safe to say this is a 10 for me. <laughs> this, is a, this
1: is a 10. For sure, yeah. We need to come up with like a new a new classification. Once we remember the rest of the classifications, there needs to be like a Bill Bixby's Oscar special, and it just yeah. means it just means like it's like above. It's like a, it's like a eleven. Um, this is a, <laughs> <laughs> this is another one from Aaron Dockery, and it is that meme of that like Grant Grant Gustin. Yeah, it's the what is it the one of those CW D, uh, DC shows where he's crouching by the grave and like giving a peace sign. And Dave's face is Photoshopped onto his head. So it's Dave doing the peace sign. And then on the gra- on the headstone, it says, Darv Bonker. And honestly, I don't even know what that's a reference to. Like, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's just a joke where it's like, because some people have joked about that of like, other alternate versions of Dave, kind of how people say that Spandrew Spice is a similar name to Andrew Price. Um, people have joked about other alternate n- Dave names. Um, so I don't know if that's just a random reference or if it's actually something that we said in an episode that I'm just forgetting.
0: I feel like it's just people that day in the group were talking about how sooner or later I'm going to die and be replaced by Darv Bonker because there's a, there's a fringe, you know, look, most of the junior sleuths are really good people. They're solid. They really. They really care about the community of, you know, Deep Cuts fandom. And some people are kind of weird, you know, like they take things a little too far. And some people are just convinced that, you know, you're not a real person. Yeah. And they're convinced that we're going to pull some weird publicity stunt or something that I'm not going to be a real person. Or something. I'm not quite sure exactly. It's weird. It's paranoia, man. It's a wilderness of digital mirrors, for sure. For yeah, hundred percent. Like
1: it's definitely a wilderness of digital mirrors. Um, yeah. I I don't understand the conspiratorial mind of it. I don't know why these people are so paranoid in this way. But yeah, for sure. That there's 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 a little bit of a there's a little stripe of of madness within the deep cuts
0: community. Do we rate this one? Uh, I give it an eight. I give it an eight. I, I give this one a six and a half. This is this is another Bill Bixby's Oscar. Uh, was this for in conjunction with um, the uh, Siegfried and Roy episode? I what guess was this in relation to I, it
1: must it must be. I don't know. I I have no idea what else the fuck it would be.
0: I I don't either. It's a image of the Oscar with fake hair holding a yellow or uh, holding a silver floating orb against a backdrop of what looks like some sort of futuristic city and or maybe Las Vegas. And it's on fire. I really don't know what this is about, but I'm really into it. (laughs) And I and it also I
1: don't know if this is part of the image that he found on Google or if he added this, but in the corner of the screen, it just says tragic graphic.
0: Great. I don't really get it, but I'm into it. And I'm going to say seven. Yeah, I I give this a I give this an eight. Bellini Jr.
1: Um. Here's one by, what the fuck? How did this get in here? A meme from Andrew's murderer, Mike Miller, AKA the bad devoted eye fisher. The fuck? I mean, what, what, what do we, what do we do about this, Dave? We, do we, do we rate this guy's memes? Like, I mean, you,
0: you be the judge. You're, I mean, I hate to do this. I hate to be this guy, but I think we have to rate his memes. If we don't, we're giving in to terrorism. The whole reason why he's the saddest man on earth. And why he murdered our dearly beloved Papa Pricey is because he always came in second in the meme, in the meme wars. And I think if we, if we bow to his tyranny, then I don't think, uh, I don't think that's good for anyone. I think we need to beat him in his own game. I think the meme chefs need to take down Mike Miller and anything less is, uh, you know, no brains. I, I think you're right, but let's see,
1: let's see how steadfast your resolve is when you actually get, learn what this meme is. So it's the meme of like the slow, it's like the heads that are in getting increasingly more enlightened. And the first one that's just a normal brain, it says, uh, a blue, blue, blue Andrew's dead, which I'm assuming is like, that's just like onomatopoeia of crying. Um, already just heavily insensitive. Um, the second one, which is slightly more enlightened, does Mike Miller is a murderer? The third one that has even more enlightenment is Spandrew Spice as co-host. I don't know. And then the final full enlightened brain says when Mike closes a door, he opens a window. So Uh,
0: this is this is uh, this is a zero for me. Fuck you, Mike Miller. Yeah, I
1: I I was wondering what your reaction after that whole talk about rating his memes. Like, I I didn't know how you're going to react to this. But essentially, this is like from the perspective of a deep cuts listener. They're sad that Andrew's dead, which they should be. And then they're they're lashing out and accusing Mike Miller of being a murderer, which is true. He is a murderer. And they're angry at him for killing Andrew. They're angry at him. And then they're kind of like. Feeling out me as host and kind of being like, I'm not sure how I feel about this, which is, you know, at this point, I feel like I've earned my place here. And then the final enlightenment is it's a it's a double entendre because they're saying that they're essentially saying that Mike killing Andrew opened a window for the new improved Spandrew Spice to become a host. But I'm not saying that that's not my words. That's that's the implication of this meme. But it's also a double entendre. Because when the portal closed, of course, I mean, I don't mean to re, I don't mean to bring this up and like re-traumatize you, but the portal closed and it that's what killed Andrew. Yeah, moving on. Zero. Yeah, zero for sure. Um, this next one's once again by Mike Miller, and it's that meme that's uh, Hank from Breaking Bad, Dean Norris. Uh, and in one picture, he's like smiling broadly and he's like really brightly lit. And in the next picture, he's all stone faced and angry and he's got, like, heavy shadow uh, lighting on his face that makes him look, like, kind of sinister. And in the first one, he says, uh, deep, deep Kudakian scholars laughing no, at- No, deep Kudakian, deep Kudakian. Deep- okay, I've, I've never actually read it out loud. Um, deep Kudakian scholars laughing at my memes and jokes. And then the the sullen, angry one is deep Kudakian scholars remembering
0: the kayfabe. That one's pretty good. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. A, I'll give that one a, I'll give that one a one. <laughs> you give this one a one? Fuck you. Fuck you, Mike Miller. Yeah. I,
1: I give I give it I give it a 0. 0.5. This next one
0: is <laughs> Oh yeah, you 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 take this one. <laughs> <laughs> this one is it's a photo of Siegfried and Roy and a tiger, but Siegfried and Roy's faces have been replaced with Spandrew's face and my face, and the tiger's face has been replaced with Hillsmer and it just says Spanfield and Bakes. this is a this is by blas juarez this is great uh eight it's fantastic first of all it's a lion not a
1: tiger but also oh sorry it's a lion uh, you're right sorry yeah i i i I give it an eight as well i agree bellini jr (laughs) this this one is from brock mcdonald and it is a picture of uh, of Malachi Love Robinson, or Malachi Rove Robinson, as you would say. <laughs> I said that like three
0: times yeah. that episode, and it's a,
1: it's a, it's a, it's like a picture of his like mugshot in the corner of the screen. It's like a, it's like a news photo, and it's a picture of a mugshot um, in the corner of the screen, and then the main um, image of the person that's like allegedly being interviewed is a picture of Malachi Love Robinson. But he has a fake mustache on. And then the text underneath him is saying, my client is innocent, which is referencing a joke that we made during the uh, real life Doogie Howser episode where we were joking that he would represent himself as his own lawyer with a fake mustache on. And we were saying that like anybody who believed that you could just put on some kind of item on your face and people would think that you are some different person. Um, anybody who would believe that is a total idiot. That was the joke that we made. And This is referencing that.
0: Yeah, and it's true. Yeah. anybody mm-hmm. who would think that you just put something on your face and you're a different person's a fucking moron mm-hmm. yeah and if you looked and sounded the exact same but you just had one item on your face
1: uh anybody who believed that you were a different person is just brain dead
0: uh i'm gonna go uh i'm gonna go a six for this one six but it's a it's a strong six though it's like a good solid six okay i'm not really sure if
1: the, there's there's room in the rubric for that as a metric, but um, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give this one a seven and a half. One. All right, so this final meme for tonight. It's once again he who should not be named, but I'll name him anyway. Mike Millar, aka the bad devoted eye fisher, aka the murderer of Andrew Price.
0: <laughs> the meme is great, but the meme in concert with the photo in the comment. Is- this is just so funny. <laughs> I
1: real I realize that people grieve differently, so I'm not gonna judge the fact that you're laughing at this because it's very dark. But um <laughs> it's it's once again the mind enlightenment tran- uh increasingly enlightened brain meme. Um and I pre warn you, this is this is graphic and dark. Um but uh, the first brain It says, uh, portal bisect a podcast host, which is once again referencing the fact that the way that Andrew died was that he was caught in the middle of a portal as it closed and was tragically cut in half. Um, The second one, which is slightly more enlightened, the text says, try in vain to convince people he had it coming. Uh, And that's referencing many, many attempts that Mike Millar has made in the Facebook group to try to justify his murder. And say that we're better off without Andrew, that Andrew deserved to die for all these made-up reasons. Um, he was trying to do that for a while. Um, then the the next almost uh, more enlightened brain, it says the shaggy defense. And this is in reference to the fact that for a while, he started trying to claim that he didn't do it. That the, you know, the, the wasn't me defense. That's what the shaggy defense means. Um, and he was trying to blame it on other Mike Millers. He was trying to blame it on the Nazi Mike Miller that we've talked about before on the show. Um, and that didn't work. And then the final most enlightened brain is his spike spiller. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then in the comments of this meme, he's posted a picture. Well, yeah, he's posted a picture of himself where That's he's him. got, well, okay. Well, I mean, okay. If you believe him, if you believe this, he's posted no, I, a pic- I mean, I, it's not that I believe anything. That's just not him. That's not Mike Miller. He's posted a picture of Spike Spiller and yeah. Spike Spiller looks almost exactly like Mike Miller, except he has like a scarf wrapped around his head and it's covering one of his eyes and like kind of wrapped around his forehead. So it's kind of like a pirate scarf. But it's covering one of his eyes.
0: Yeah, it's like an eye patch, kind of.
1: Yeah, but like a bigger scarf eye patch that like covers. Yeah, it's like it's like a cooler eye
0: patch. I mean, let's let's not. I mean, let's not get hasty here. I mean, this is a ten. This is a ten. Really? You're you're going a ten on this? This is a ten. Are you kidding, Spike Spiller? And then he actually found some guy on the internet who's named Spike Spiller and got him to take a photo for it. Amazing. So
1: you're fully, you're like, what like, do you think, like, do you think that him finding
0: Spike Spiller has, like, redeemed him? Or, like, what is, what's the. We're not, I'm not trying to, no, he's a fucking murderer. Fuck that guy. But I can recognize a funny joke when I see it. That's funny. He found a guy named Spike Spiller. That's hilarious.
1: So it's it's so funny to you because he actually, he made this joke in this meme and then he went and found a real Spike Spiller and the the he's it, you you it's a 10 for you because he's committed to the bit so hard that he oh, went yeah. and I mean, found
0: I, a real Spike Spiller. I mean, I hate Mike Miller. Mike Miller's a piece of fucking shit, but this Spike Spiller guy looks kind of nice. Yeah, I got to admit. He's just from this picture,
1: he looks like a sweetheart. Um, yeah, I mean, okay. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I said this before. I said this earlier, but like I I think I'm going to give this the Bill Bixby's Oscar special. Like if if you want
0: to give this an eleven, you're giving this an eleven. Yeah,
1: if, if you're on board with this, I, I I'd feel I'd feel uncomfortable liking this meme if it was upsetting to you.
0: But you seem to be on board with it, so I'm so I'm so here for this. I hope Spike Spiller comes and joins the Facebook group, man. That guy seems delightful. Fuck you, Mike Miller, but Spike Spiller seems really nice. Yeah, I I think this is hilarious. I'm I'm loving this. All right, should we go? Should we go through them all one more time and reevaluate before we say which one is the winner for this episode of the? Pizza, pizza, Spaparitsa, mimarita, celebrita.
1: So we have we have the orangutan Jay-Z Knight meme from Blas Juarez. Mm-hmm. We have the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and little girl running on the uh, Windows XP background meme from Kieran Stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the Jay-Z Knight, Jay-Z Knight meme from Aaron Dockery. Mm-hmm. We have the Deep Ruts Toots Brothel from Bill Bixby's Oscar. Mm hmm. We have the uh, Darv Bonker in his grave meme from Aaron Dockery once again. Mm-hmm. We have the tragic nightmare scape from Bill Bixby's Oscar. Um, we have the uh, when Mike closes a door, he opens a window meme from Mike Millar. Fuck you, Mike Mika- Miller. Mika- Mika Millar. Millar. Uh, we have the the deep Cutian scholar jokes. Hank Schrader meme, once again, from Mikkei Millar. Uh, we have the Spanfield and Bakes meme from Blas Juarez. Solid. We have the uh, Malachi Love Robinson with a fake mustache. Um, whoever believed this is a total fucking idiot meme from Brock McDonald. Um, and then finally, we have the uh, Spike Spiller
0: meme from <laughs> Mike Millar. Uh, Spandrel, I'll let you vote first. Or do you want me to vote first? Who? Which one of us should vote first? Yeah, you, you, you
1: do, you go first. I, I there's, th- this is like a minefield of like, I'm trying not to offend you. I'm trying not to like trigger you. So I, I, I want to let you take the lead on this one.
0: I mean, I appreciate that, but I want you to, I want you to do what feels right for you. You know, I don't want you to try and live in the shadow of Andrew. Um, because even though he was a great host, he was fucking horrible to deal with for this fucking pizza, pizza, ma- paparita, me, shit. He was the worst. Um, so, you know, y- you just do what, what feels right for you. And I'm sure it'll be better than that shit that he did. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta go, man. I gotta go and hand it to Mike Miller, man. As much as I hate that murdering bastard piece of shit, finding some guy named Spike Spiller to complete his meme. And taking a photo of that guy, that's really funny. So I, I, my vote for who wins this pizza, or uh, pizza, pizza, paparita, mimorita celebrita is the Spike Spiller meme. Wait a minute. Wait a fucking
1: minute. Are you telling me that for the first time in Deep Cut's history, barring my tie-breaking vote, which will certainly go in his favor, that Mike Miller is the champion? <laughs> Of the Spizza Spizza Spaparitsa, Mimaritsa, Celebritsa?
0: Ah, you love to see it, except you don't, because he fucking killed Andrew. Mike Miller, you piece of fucking shit. All that time, all those months, he
1: tried and he tried, and he could never break through. He could never achieve the champion status. And only after ascending into a formless time beast creature, and murdering one of the hosts, does he finally achieve the coveted spot of Spitza, Spitza, Spopperizza, Mimarizza, Celebrizza champion?
0: He wasn't taking it far enough before, man, but he went out and found a guy named. Spike Spiller. Yeah. That's genius. That's genius. Well, I, I I kinda hate to say it.
1: And part of me is like, we really have the power to just not do this. It's not like it's out of our hands in any way. We're literally just the arbiter of this whole process. And yet I still hate to say it. But congratulations, Mike Miller. You're the fucking champion. Congratulations, Mike Miller. Of the of the SSS MC. The first SSS MC of season three of Deep Cuts. And with that, good night, my princes of uh fucking murder time beasts, my kings of
0: Hillsmer's sweaty ball sack. Man, you really fucked up that dismount. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. night.